It's Tennessee Titans talk. Big fella, be honest with us. Did Urban Meyer ever kick you? <laughs> what a weirdo. Guys, it's Steelers week. Uh, I think it's Urban Meyer week everywhere. But here in Nashville, it's Steelers week. And I, if I had more time, uh, if I wasn't so busy at work, I think I would go back and every time we say Steelers on this podcast tonight, I would bleep it out. Because it's so interesting to think about. They're not in our division, but Derry, this is the team we hate the most. Yeah, because it, it's like looking into a mirror. It's like they're a tough team. They're a physical team. Uh, obviously, they've got winning tradition. But they're just a team that just – it's always so physical. It's always going to be a close game. So uh, – and, and we've just been on, on, a, on a lot of ends of, of heartbreak when it comes to this team. So, yeah, I agree. We hate the Steelers. <laughs> Landon, you're 19 years old. You know so much about NFL history. But even then, you were a kid or not born during the biggest Titans-Steelers games. Do you have the same – sense of rivalry and hatred for the Steelers that we do? I don't quite think so, just because we haven't really been a contender for the past decade or so. And I understand, like, in the 2000s when we were good, and when we were in the same division, we hated the Steelers, and we played a lot and all that. But I really feel that same hate for them. I still – I hate the Steelers, but I don't think I hate them the most. I think, like, Ravens and Colts are two, are the two bigger ones to me than – well, you said like you said the Steelers are our most hate. I think Ravens and Colts right now is bigger to me, just because I have a more personal connection with wanting to hate them. I think that's an interesting distinction because I, I do think older fans, it's more of a Steelers Ravens thing, and I think it's a mo- little more regional for folks that are younger. Uh, at least some people. Uh, guys, let's talk Titans news. Of course, we're going to talk a lot about the Steelers, and uh, but first. Uh, NFL announced the cap is going to be up in 22. We all expected that. Uh, Landon, for you, what does that mean? Uh, I think Harold Landry, and I think about signing him to a long-term contract. Is he going to be our off-season priority? Uh, what does this announced cap and this money going up, what does it mean specifically to the Titans? It means that we have complete financial flexibility, and we can pretty much bring back whoever we want. Because outside of Landry, none of our guys really project to get high-end deals. Because after Landry, our best free agent is Jayon Brown. And Jayon's been okay, and he's he had a good game this past week, but he isn't the same guy we thought was going to get 10 plus million. And the cap site pretty much means Landry's deal is already paid for by the boost. We still have to factor in Lawan and Saffold. Who? Probably both of them are either out the door or heavily restructured, so that's even more money. Landry was really the only high-end player that was going to hit for agency, although A.J. Brown is entering the final year of his deal. But with A.J. Brown's injury history, either he's not going to get paid as much as we thought he was at those first two years, or they're going to wait and see, and maybe they franchise tag him. So just come off season. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about us keeping our stars. The core of this team is going to stay here, and it's nice that we're not going to be the Saints or the Eagles where we have to cut good players or just let them walk because we literally have no money. It's funny you say that, Lane, because I was looking at the Saints cap cap situation, even with the increased cap, and it's like, holy cow. They are still just like the worst cap-managed team ever. And it was partially by design because they were kicking the can down the road starting in like 2015. And Drew Brees, it was a lot of it was Drew Brees' quarterback contract. That's the biggest money. Kept getting pushed down and down. And if just one of those playoff runs, runs had broken right, if – their string of bad luck or choking went the other one. They won a Super Bowl. No one would care. 
like the Eagles, like they didn't care. Like they had to cut all their good players and they were kind of whatever last year. It's like, we won a Super Bowl. Who cares? Well, I just, I remember at the beginning of the season when we signed, uh, you know, when we uh, traded for Julio, there was, there were some concerns around sort of like, obviously his contract number was pretty high. And so I'm just wondering, like, obviously this cap increase will mitigate the impact of that. But like, what does that mean? You know, like, cause I, I remember us talking about kicking the can down the road with Julio and that we were going to have to sort of pay a little bit for making that, making that deal. Well, part of the reasoning with Julio was we had to restructure some other deals to get his initial salary number under the threshold. But I believe his contract drops down the line and we, and it's less dead money and so on and so forth. So it was just a really weird period when we brought him in because we signed a pre to a big deal we had some big contracts already with Tannehill and Henry recently and the cap had just plummeted due to COVID so it was an it was just an abnormality of the cap floor like in a normal year we wouldn't have had any issue trading for Julio but just in the COVID year it was a bit trickier and we had to kick the can down the road a little but nothing even in the same dimension as what the Eagles and Saints have done this line Steelers Titans opened at three and a half the Titans were favored in Pittsburgh. Surprised me, but this is an even line now. What do you make of that movement? I, I think it's a couple of things. Obviously, you know, the game is in Pittsburgh, and so, you know, you're, you're going to get that, that home field advantage. I think P- Pittsburgh still a solid team, and their fan base is, is rabid. And then our team has struggled, you know, and, and, I, and I think over time, like, you know, offensively, we, we've struggled to move the ball. Obviously, we, we won last week, but when you look at – the previous couple of weeks, right? We haven't been super impressive against the Pats, against Houston. And so um, I think, you know, it's just sort of reeling it back into reality that this is going to be a really close game. I think we're, um, I think we're slightly better, but you know, it's certainly a pick them when you, when you uh, say they're at home. Um, to that too. I think another factor that kind of moved the line a little bit is their ability to get guys back from injuries. So TJ Watt practiced yesterday. I believe Joe Hayden has an opportunity to make it back into the lineup this weekend. So obviously those are two pretty big, uh, big chip players. And when guys like that playing a game like this, it has the capability to move a line like that. And, you know, we've always talked about home teams getting three points. So starting out two and a half, I think was fair. And then as things, as the week progresses, I, you know, I think, um, they kind of like Pittsburgh quite a bit more, obviously. Big fella, we all have read and heard about the Jaguars thing. What an epic, epic fall apart. But this Josh Lambeau thing, in a vacuum, if we didn't know all the other stuff, and you read a report, a coach kicks a guy and kind of gives him a hard time, you know, you can look at that a couple of different ways. Um, it's hard to say in a vacuum. Like, have you experienced that kind of behavior, like, it kind of crosses the line of this camaraderie or whatever. Like, what did you as a former player make of that whole Josh Lambeau, Urban Meyer thing? I think it just is proof that Urban Meyer isn't, you know, he, he can't cut it in the NFL. He thinks he's still dealing with kids that he can kind of push around. I would never, I mean, think about Vrabel. If he came up to, any play, like if even last, let's say last year, he and Gaskowski, he and Gaskowski were buddies, right? If he walked up to him and kicked him in the leg and started cursing at him and saying that it's his job to make some kicks, like they would have at it. It's just the weirdest thing I've ever heard. 
I think Urban Meyer is the biggest joke in football, at least in the, in the NFL. It, it was just so weird, and I've never experienced anything really like that. I remember one time in high school, it was halftime, and I wasn't having a great game, but our offensive line coach came up to me and said, if you don't pick it up, I'm going to put your brother in over you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> hell no. So I had one of the best halves of football uh, I may have ever played in that second half. And, you know, clearly those are very two very different circumstances and, and different situations. Um, it was just – it was in that vein, though, in Urban Meyer's mind. He just is obviously pretty out of touch with who he's dealing with. I think I'm glad you bring that story up because – it starts there. It just ends in a in a in a bad place. Yeah, it, it was just too weird. And I I actually heard Josh Lambeau talking about it on um, Sirius XM on my drive home from work today, and he was kind of saying that like it wasn't just like a playful kick. Like he drilled him in the hamstring, and that's a pretty stupid thing to do with your starting kicker. It's thoughtless. Yeah, it's, it's, he's it's out of so touch. Stupid. What what's interesting, I think, Landon, more than anything, is the fall. Like we've all been a little weird about him. Like, yes, he won a national championship at Florida and Ohio State. The illnesses, but being fine in a few months and all that stuff. I don't want to guess on anybody's health, but you could never really say much about the results on the field. This guy's last nine or ten months. Uh, I I haven't seen a stock fall that much since like Enron. I mean, it's it's incredible. What are his opportunities when the dust settles? Like, because part of me thinks I think a lot of people are going to assume, oh, he'll get a big, big college job in the next cycle. But I think we might be past that. Is a guy that won two national championships? Is he going to have to rehab him? Because he will coach again. He doesn't want to go out like this. He's only fifty-seven years old. Is he going to have to go back to the group of five? Or when the dust settles on this, uh, everybody's desperate. He'll just get a, a, a big Power Five job next December. I would like to think he goes back to, I think it was Big Noon Kickoff he was on for all, one of the big Fox College football shows and stays there waffle because I really think he's toxic. Like, whoever signs him, how many recruits are they really going to get? Even if it's a big school, it's a big, it's a big prestige, it's places kids always wanted to go. It's like, this is a guy at the NFL level who tried to bully a grown man, a veteran like Josh Lambeau, I mean, he's a kicker, but it's like no one ever had a problem with Josh Lambeau. And Marvin Jones, we were talking with our friend Ben over the weekend. Marvin Jones, one of the nicer, best veteran players in the NFL, stormed out of the building and had to be almost dragged back in because Urban Meyer is just so toxic. Like, whoever signs him, if it's group of five, what kid wants to go play for him? And if he's a bad enough person to try and bully grown men, what was he doing to college kids where he can literally hold their future of their head. I mean, who would want to go play for him? What school would want to be under that pressure to say, hey, I know he hired a, he hired a racist, abusive strength coach and he was acting inappropriate at a club and skipped out on his responsibilities and alienated the entire locker room and no one wanted to be around him. But hey, he's Urban Meyer. He won two, he won two rings almost two decades ago, so here we go. I mean, what team actually wants to deal with that baggage? That is... Such a good point. And that is everybody that works with him or trying to rehab his image. That is the question. Derry, how are they going to rehabilitate his image to 17 and 18-year-old young men uh, without him coaching? Like, he's going to – that is the reconciliation, Landon points out perfectly. If, Derry, you were giving him advice, if 
if you were hired to give him a five-year plan, you that'd probably be a good idea for Urban Meyer. Um, I'm hoping people he has responsible, smart people like you in his life that are gonna because that is gonna be a lot of people's job, not just one person. It's how do we polish this image? It is as bad as it can be. I mean, where do they go from here? What would your advice to be to him to kind of just move past this? Like, how does he get back to coaching? How how does he go like Landon said to it doesn't seem like he could relate to anybody right now. It doesn't seem like what advice would you have for him? Well, I think first he needs to go away. He needs to get out of the spotlight for the next year, right? Not don't go on television, don't do anything. Go away. Like the news cycle will turn and sadly in the society we live there'll be another thing. There'll be another Well, that's a good point because that's a good point there because if I don't see him for the next year, I and I think a lot of people are going to assume that he's rehabbing issues with his family, which is what he would need to do, and I'm sure has a lot of work. Yes, daughters, uh, but yeah, go ahead. Right, yeah. So you spend the next year away, you, um, and then when you come back, you come back. I think to television. I think is the first way. Sort of get the the broader society used to seeing your face, hearing your name you know, Saturday mornings talking about the college game. Obviously, he's never going back to the pro level. So, you know, if you want to work your way back to the collegiate level, you got to get back on those Saturday morning, you know, TV shows in another year. And then I, I think Landon asked the question, like, who would do it? And the truth is a desperate program. That's yeah, who's going to hire Urban Meyer. Uh, you know, a and desperate there's a lot program out there. that either has, yeah, that believes that they should be competing at a higher level than they should be. Um, or, you know, is willing to sort of take the chance to sort of say, we, we, we've, we've done the research, we've, he's rehabbed his image, he's, uh, you know, made up with his family. That's, that's going to be the program that's going to hire Urban Meyer. Yeah, let me give you a couple names. Nebraska, Texas. There are desperate teams that would hire a killer. I mean, they want to win so bad. And, yes, right now it seems unimaginable. But Derry says it well. Take a year off, take another year, and kind of get us. You see, that's that's the advice he's going to get. Now, will he take that? I don't know. Probably. Um, well, but big fella, I know you're going to speak. I want to hear what you say. But my big question for you is: Do you think it'll help within the next two years? The Jags are probably going to keep being the Jags. I mean, they have literally lost ten games in ten out of eleven seasons. Like, don't you think if he get when he gets away from that program? Derry said, you know, the cycle's going to move on, and we're all still going to know. But I think a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, the Jags really ruined him, right? He's got that in his advantage. He does, but I think just his actions really take away, yeah. you know, any kind of credibility he might have. I'm just have. saying what the narrative two years from now can oh, be. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. You can say, oh, he's in the Jaguars. And, you know, even though they had Trevor Lawrence, you know, it was kind of all piled against him. They don't have, you know, a great roster. The their fans are terrible blah 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 i mean you're right the narrative is written already and it kind of you know he has a couple different scapegoats you can use but i i've got two thoughts on this number one i'm actually the opposite of what you guys are thinking i really think this blew his shot at coaching i mean up until now he was revered everywhere as like one of the greatest coaches around i mean yeah we we knew about his weird antics and before but it, it was never magnified on the level it is now and then one of the things you got to think of too like landon said 
What kind of recruits are going to trust him? What kind of recruits are going to go to whatever school he goes to? And then also, you've got a lot of kids who, I mean, we're seeing a lot of kids just go to different schools. It doesn't have to be Power 5. We saw, what, the number one overall recruit the other day sign with Jackson State because of Deion Sanders? I mean, that's a guy they all trust. And, you know, he's he's earning that trust from a lot of kids. Um at a bunch of different places and i think that's going to factor in but then kids are looking at big time college football as their next step to get to the pros they look at urban meyer as you know a kind of used doormat like what kind of connections does he has does he have to the nfl anymore i mean it's kind of like okay this guy can't help my career. He can't help my football future beyond potentially letting me start in college. And then kind of saw how he handled the whole James Robinson situation, which was really weird for Carlos Hyde. I mean, and then it, who knows what would have happened if Travis Etienne stayed healthy. I mean, who knows? So I just don't think he's got a shot. Now, the one thing you guys were talking about, kind of redemption story, Who's a guy that had a weird, crazy NFL miniature stint and then went on to be a, a crazy, you know, probably the most winningest NCAA coach ever? Saban, right, but he wasn't right? kicking people. And, no, uh, he, he wasn't. wasn't acting I, like an idiot, and he wasn't run out of sound. He, he did. I think he did do a couple of weird things, and it was kind of, I mean, of course, not to the scale of Urban Meyer, but, you know, he kind of approached the NFL like he's still coaching college kids, and it didn't work out, and he washed out, and then... You know, he lands at Alabama and, you know, may end up being one of the greatest college coaches. Well, may end up being the greatest college coach of all time. I so, do agree that that's the narrative yeah. on Urban Meyer now, which you said. But things do change. And I think it, somebody's going to have to swallow hard because it looks so bad. And, like, it's hard to imagine. But you mentioned college football has been about at the highest level. Well, I want to get to the next level. I think it's going to be about that, but I also think it's going to be about how they can capitalize. Uh, I think the, I think if I were advising a five-star, the goal is to leave college a millionaire. And I think that is very doable for the best players. And so that's the other factor. So um, right now players play, go and play for coaches almost always, unless you just want to play for Notre Dame, unless you just want to go live in LA generally, you just go play for a certain coach and play in a certain scheme and get on the field. And you're going to add a caveat to that and absolutely cash in. You're going to see the Texas schools and the other really rich schools. You're going to see them just absolutely get all of the talent now, but there's going to be some boutique type situations like Deion Sanders is so well done, but he's building a really good resume to be the next Florida state coach. And I think everyone knows that big fella kind of switching gears here. We'll get back to this later, but um, in all seriousness, um, for you, we were talking earlier about how Landon doesn't dislike the Steelers as much as we do because he's not old enough. <laughs> What's your genesis of just – because I know you hate the Steelers. That's your least favorite team. In all seriousness, what's the genesis and, you know, why, why, why do you hate them more than the other teams? Well, I hate their colors. I hate their players. I hate their field. I hate that their field is named after ketchup. Um, I hate everything about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And maybe it's, you know, rooted from me being born in Pennsylvania on the other side of the state and, you know, being on the eastern side. 
uh, and just, you know, being gravitated towards, you know, the Penn States and the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Phillies and just that line down the center of the state is really, it's a real thing. Um, and it might have started when I, you know, first, you know, entered this world, but I just cannot stand the Steelers. And as soon as I became a Titans fan, it was just cemented that day. I can still see Troy Polamalu jumping over the line of scrimmage and sacking Kerry Collins like it was yesterday. I can still see monsters like um, James Harrison just, you know, wreaking havoc on our team. Everything about them, I cannot stand them. And, you know, I, I, I think my hatred for this team is, is well noted probably by, every, by all of our listeners, by all of our friends, by, even by my colleagues at work. They know not to mention the Steelers to me. And, you know, it's just even, even like, you know, the smallest things like that people wouldn't be bothered with. I, I, I am <laughs> very bothered by the Steelers. And, you know, that's why, well, this week is super important to me. Um, you know, ignoring family obligations, ignoring the upcoming holiday, Sunday is a war. But honestly, if you watch the second half of that Thursday night game, they furiously came back, and I don't think he was their problem. I know he hasn't. he's had moments where he's just looked a million years old and slow and hurt and everything else. Does analytics and kind of your eyeball test, like, is he the problem there? Does he – is he really been better this year, this year than we just kind of? I think the national media just kind of has this narrative that that he's just he's just done. Has he looked any better to you? I think if you look at the extreme end of people who say Big Ben is washed, like he's actively making the Steelers worse, I would disagree. But he hasn't been good. I would say he's been a bottom third quarterback. Part of it is the offensive line, which they. The, the meme about them is they throw within two seconds all the time, which really limits their offense. So their offensive line is so bad, so they have a hard time getting those longer routes. But at the same time, the play calling hasn't been good. His decision-making hasn't been good. The arm, even though he still, once in a while, can make that good deep throw, the arm isn't there. And just the overall quality of the offense has regressed due to injury in the offensive line. We talked about in the offseason, like they really need to rest their offensive line. What they do in the first round, draft a running back. Roethlisberger, I would say, has been, like, off the top of my head, the 20th, 24th best quarterback this year, which for his standards, what he has been is a fall from grace. But with their defense and how bad their offense is, he's been fine. Like, I think if Tannehill were in that situation, Tannehill wouldn't look much better, even though I think Tannehill, in a vacuum, is a much better quarterback than Roethlisberger right now. Yeah, that's the thing. I... I liked Najee Harris a lot. I did not understand how they made no improvements on that offensive line. And that has been their problem offensively. We know they have the skill position players. Uh, everybody wants to just blame it on Big Ben, but they are about as bad as any team on that offensive line. I do not understand how they thought they could get away with just next guy up. It's not 1985, but uh, I, I, I don't know. But – and. I'm glad because that helps us, but I just don't understand how they didn't make that their offseason priority like Kansas City did and other teams. So, who are the top five players in your mind we're going to see Sunday? I, I like to do that to just kind of like look for the right matchups and see like just the top end talent. Like, where is it? The, you know, if you're talking just across the board, 
Obviously, if TJ Watt's going to play, it's critical that we have, uh, you know, he's going to be an impact player on the field. So uh, our offensive line has got to be, you know, has, has got to step up, right? Taylor Long, Chris Berry, all the guys have got to really protect um, our most important player on the offense, which is Tannehill. Um, I think the games we've lost, you, you've seen it in the turnover batters, uh, turnover uh, battle. So Ryan Tannehill is our, in my mind, the most critical player for us to be successful on the road in Pittsburgh. We've got to have a clean game, no turnovers, no fumbles. Um, so he's essential. Um, I think we're going to be able to run the ball effectively uh, against against Pittsburgh. So so Foreman, Deontay Foreman, will be uh, impactful. I think if we can uh, control the clock, keep this uh, keep this a uh, relatively low scoring game, I think that's going to be essential. Uh, and then Pittsburgh, while Big Ben is is you know uh, certainly not the player he used to be, they still have some some incredible skill positions that with Najee Harris and um, and I can't think of the name of that. Who's the wide receiver out wide? Um, that's excellent out there. The best one is Deontay uh, Landon, Deontay Johnson. Oh, you're yeah, thinking Deontay Johnson. Chase Claypool? I think Deontay no. Johnson is their best <laughs> yeah, receiver. Deontay. Yeah, Deontay. I like Johnson. Claypool, not Claypool's maturity, but physically he's good. But really Deontay Johnson is underrated because he wasn't a big, you know, recruiter, a big draft pick or anything. But I think he is just super talented. Really, really good. So yeah, so we've got to play well in the secondary as well. Uh, big fellow for you. What's the most important matchup? Is it if there's one player against one player that could decide this game? If that's if that's how it's going to be, sometimes it is. Like, what's the biggest, most important matchup for the Titans Sunday? I always, you know, I mean, me personally, I always like these revenge games. So. I'm looking for hopefully Bud Dupree to be completely activated and playing in this game, you know, returning to the Steelers where, you know, he was drafted there. So it's got to mean a little bit of a little something extra for him. And I think kind of like you talked about with Big Ben, we got to get him rattled. If we get to him, you know, repeatedly, I don't think there's a chance we lose this game. Um, obviously they've got some players on defense like Derry mentioned, but I think that's really our, our big, it's going to be our Achilles heel. We've got to get to, we've got to get to big Ben. We've got to shut down Najee Harris and we've got to prevent big plays. Predicting who we're going to see this particularly with injuries, uh, both teams. Uh, what are we looking at Sunday? Well, despite the downright scary COVID outbreaks that are happening across the league and I've seen that reports that the Players Association is fighting to get this week pushed back a week just because so many teams have had COVID cases. I think the Cleveland Browns have half their starters out with COVID, but they're still going to play the game. But thankfully for both teams, we haven't had that issue yet. Our only positive COVID case is Des Fitzpatrick. No one else has tested positive. Where the Steelers, unfortunately for us, TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, their two edge rushers are going to play. Outside of that, they're pretty much at full strength. They don't have, they haven't had any major season-ending injuries outside of Juju Smith-Schuster at receiver, but he wasn't really moving the needle that much. Then for us, this, I think this is actually the the smallest injury report we've had all year. I only count nine players on it. Unfortunately, seven of them haven't practiced at all this week. Torrey Carter, I wouldn't expect to play. He got shaken up last week, and I didn't see him again after that. 
Crookshank is sick, so I think he'll play, but he won't be as effective. Janoris Jenkins, I would lean he doesn't play. David Long, I said last week he posted that tweet that said he was looking ready to go, but he hasn't practiced all week, and I think with Cunningham coming back and Cunningham getting acclimated to the roster, unfortunately, David Long probably doesn't play again. Saffold, shoulder injury, it's a fi- he'll play. Don't be surprised if he goes out two or three times and he's down on a knee and it's like, oh, Saffold's hurt. What's Ugh. new? And then Tier Tart, who's been out, I want to say this is his fourth game if he misses it. I wouldn't expect him to play either. But other than that, Landry is good to go. He popped up with a minor injury. And Roberson was sick today, but I don't think it's that bad. It's not COVID, just probably just a cold. So our injuries outside of Long don't really scare me because our secondary has played better. I don't think losing Jenkins is the end of the world. And I would like to have Tart back just for the rotation on the defensive line, but the Steelers' run game is so bad, it's not like we need our nose tackle to win the game. I would argue that losing Jenkins is an upgrade, to be honest. He hasn't played really well this season at all. Yeah, I'm just not big on forced stink names, so I think that's his problem. No. I think we're, I'm, we've been glad to have him because it could have been worse, but no, he's not lit the world on fire. Um, we have such good names. Uh, Tier Tart. Uh, Buster Screen. I feel like this may not be the best Titan teams ever, but maybe it's the best named. It's just incredible. We have a guy that want. We have a guy that wants to be known as Jackrabbit. <laughs> uh, Derry, if if you were 17 years old tomorrow, you woke up and you were you. You had your same brain, all your experiences, but you were 17 and you were like a high four or five star uh, athlete. Would you consider the HBCUs? I think they've done a good job of promoting them uh i i, I want to see more resources and I, a longer bigger commitment but i i think that doesn't happen overnight uh i hope i'm hopeful we'll see that um with what we've seen with the deon sanders at, at jackson state going 10 and 1 and obviously just bringing a lot of life to the program eddie george did a, a fine job at tennessee state in his first year um is that something you would consider if you were going through that process now so the short answer is no <laughs> and uh but i and 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 i say that out of respect to the fact that i agree with you i love seeing the reason i love seeing uh what eddie george and dion are doing and uh but it but it's a matter of limited resources um i think we said earlier in, in the pod that the goal when you're a top 100 you know type player is you want to uh, take advantage of the you know name image and likeness uh, you want to get yourself, you know, as much exposure on national television as possible so that you can be drafted and become a pro. And you want to have access to the best facilities, coaching and resources possible. And unfortunately, right now, today, that's you're not you're not going to get that at, at the uh, HBCU, um, you know, football um, programs. And so. Yeah, that's that's not where I would go. Plus, I'm from Tennessee, so uh, I'd be going to the University of Tennessee. Just be real. There you go. <laughs> well, Derry, would that have been any the consideration? And you listed kind of what a person would look for now, and it's smart. Um, I think NIL is going to change because you look that paycheck now is going to be a factor. Um, but would that have been any different when you were actually 17 years old? Do you think um, it's different for us because we know? what we know having lived you know half of our life already 
you know, when I was actually 17, you know, HBCU, they weren't even really on the map as far as, you know, football programs. I mean, you know, you know, I went to high school in Texas. And so like, there were high school football programs that I think had, you know, bigger, <laughs> bigger and better teams at the time than probably some of uh, the HBCUs, at least uh, from a, a crowd and, and uh, some of the right. talent that was going to UT and A&M and, and some of these programs. So, um, so it, it's going to take a while for um, for the HBCUs to 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 reach that level. Um, but I love what Dion's doing. I love that he was able to get a top recruit. I think that's the way it's going to happen. It's going to be slow, but um, but if, if if they continue to win and it and it creates this culture, then I, I'm all for it. Absolutely, uh, I think it adds. Um, it's like when. Alabama or USC gets better. It's like there's tradition at the HBCUs and it's rich and it's only going to make the game better if they're better. I, I want to see that. Everybody wants to see that. And more uh, folks, especially of color, are going to get access to a better education and a better college experience. It's only positive. There are only positive things that could happen from that. Yeah, the university call... life at HBCUs are, are amazing. And so from right. a cultural standpoint and the things that go on there academically, it's amazing. But, um, you know, I, I think given the risk that collegiate athletes take, I, I think you have to, to mitigate those risks. You have to take advantage of the opportunity that those big, big schools offer. Right. I mean, because you basically you have this talent, you have this commodity, and you were saying so well earlier, you, you want to – put yourself in the absolute best situation. So for me, if someone was asking my advice and they're a five-star corner, I'd say, you got to go um, uh, under the tutelage of maybe the best defensive back coach ever to live, and that's Nick Saban. And the track record he has of putting elite guys going from five-star players to first-round picks, it's irrefutable. And you can kind of pick your position and your coach and your program based kind of on your position. Uh, and that's kind of how I would look at it like a business decision. I'm also 41 years old. I look at everything like a business decision. Uh, and so that's why I was kind of curious about then and now. But as far as the college experience, all interesting stuff, there is in like a cornerback to go play for Deion Sanders, a guy who immediately put a good product on the field, has all the connections, and is certainly uh, probably maybe the greatest cornerback to ever live. Uh, you can see that being a, a pretty decent decision as well. Aside from the the most important game is the next game cliche, what really in your mind is the most important game left on our schedule? I think it has it would have to do with us getting the one seed, so that would be a factor in my head, but what is the most important game on our schedule? Well, outside of this Sunday, of course, um, you know, we've got the 49ers at home on Thursday night the following week, and then we have the Dolphins at home. And then we are on the road at the Texans. So my heart wants me to say, okay, yeah, Texans, duh. We go five and one in the division. And, you know, we, at that point, we like our chances with at least 10 wins. Um, so I say that, and all, you know, also in division opponents are really, uh, it's always tough, but really I think playing the Niners here on Thursday night, short week at home, I think that's the measuring stick of, of what of what we can do going forward. Because they are going to be, you know, one of the tougher teams that we've played all season. I mean, they aren't 
world beaters in every aspect uh, of the game, but they have got a bunch of players that can do some damage. Um, Debo Samuel, I think he is just an immense talent, even when he's hurt. I mean, they, they took the Corderell Patterson approach, and he's playing running back, and he's just showing that he's just a, a baller, a, a, you know, yeah, he's, a, a game He's breaker. one of the 10 maybe best, most interesting players this season. Guy's been in the league 11 years. I, I don't think he just learned how to play football. I think he's been miscast and misused. Sure. It's a credit to Arthur Smith. I mean, they've really found a way. Uh, to really work him. I wish I could ask you all that question. I know we're short on time. Uh, Landon, real quickly, the AFC, if we're watching all the games this weekend, what are the biggest games and what are the implications for what we all care about, that number one seed in the AFC? Well, the biggest game for us and the rest of the season is Saturday night, Patriots going on the road to play the Colts, both coming off their bye weeks, both really hot. The implication is this. So, for the rest of the season, for us to clinch the division to have a home game, our wins plus Colts' losses has to equal two. So, realistically, if the Colts lose Saturday night, we know this Sunday we're playing for the division. We win against the Steelers. We win the division no matter what. But if the Colts win, we control our own destiny because now the Patriots have one more loss than us. It's us in Kansas City at the top with four losses each. We hold the tiebreaker because we beat them. We know going into the Steelers game, if we control our own destiny. That's not to say this is the only game where the Patriots can lose and we can retake the one seed. They still play the Bills. They have to go to Miami to play the Dolphins, but this is the most realistic outcome for them losing. So if they lose, we control our own destiny. We went out, we get the one seed. After everything we've gone through, after all the injuries and the embarrassing losses and just the befuddling moments, if, if Carson Wentz can beat the Patriots, we we should we will all retract all of our Carson Wentz slander for the rest of the year. I won't. <laughs> it's for I don't know. That would be pretty big, though. Yeah. Go Colts, right, then? Question mark. Ugh, that, I think I threw up a little bit when uh, I said that, Derek. Uh, but, right. wow. just, just for this wow. weekend, I will just say Jonathan okay. Taylor is the best running back in the NFL. Just for this <laughs> weekend. The best healthy comment. one. The best healthy one, right? Now, Derry, big fella, was, he had a few at the game, and he was saying Sunday about how you secretly love Jonathan Taylor. So, <laughs> you, you may have loved hearing that, but he, he did accuse you of being like a straight-up Jonathan Taylor apologist. Oh, I, I, I started off by saying, Derry, that you were a, a giant Colts fan. And Nathan was like, what? Derry? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think he, he and Jonathan Taylor are in cahoots. They've got a secret thing going on. Just because he's on every one of Derry's fantasy teams doesn't mean he <laughs> loves it. Well, that means that means Derry is a very smart fantasy football player. Yeah, kudos <laughs> to that. All right, guys, we've got to wrap up here, but real quickly, I want each of – we'll start with you, Derry. What's the what's the key to the game in your mind Sunday, and what, what do you, how do you think it's going to turn out? Uh, protect the ball, no turnovers. Turnovers are going to be key to, to this game. Um, it, it's been it's been the key to our last three weeks. We win the turnover battle. We win the game. I think Ben is ripe for the taking. I think we're going to be able to get pressure on him, and I think he's going to give us the ball a few times. Um, and so I think we win 24-10. All right. What about you, big fella? I think kind of like Derry said, we got to get to Big Ben. Um, I think we're going to rattle his cage as much as possible, and that is going to lead to us having a – um, it's going to, we're going to win the turnover battle. I'm going to go us 21, 14. 
For me, it's about keeping the offensive play calling as simple as possible and neutralizing their pass rush. The Steelers are the worst defense in the NFL in yards per carry allowed. The inside of their defense, even with Stephon Tewitt coming back, has been uncharacteristically soft. Like we saw with the Patriots game and even the Houston game. If we can run up the middle every single time and get three yards in a cloud of dust and keep managing it, just keep doing that, especially with A.J. Brown back. Dalvin Cook, even though we have no one close to Dalvin Cook on this roster, he made it look easy running for 200 yards. They've been gashed all year. And with our, with Hilliard and Foreman, just keep spamming them inside. Keep getting us into the third and manageable. If you, if they get some third down stops, that's fine. We'll punt. I don't, I don't fear their offense that much. And as long as we don't give them any short fields, I trust our defense to show up. So for me, Titans win 2017. Classic Titans ugly win. Yeah, I... I don't think we can win if we don't take advantage of that poor offensive line. If we let Ben have some time, I, I think I legitimately think they'll they'll beat us up there. And um, um, honestly, I don't think we can afford to make more than one mistake. If Tannehill has two picks, I don't think we can win this game. I think they're playing for their season, and we'll see a good effort. They are limited, and we'll have to take advantage of it. I, I agree with Lennon at 2017. I'm really excited for Sunday. You- I'm nervous. I'm always nervous, but it'll be up in Pittsburgh. Noon kickoff. Guys, I'm just really excited. I hope it goes. Uh, well, thanks for listening to us. Follow us on however you listen to podcasts. Share us out. Uh, tighten up. Tighten up. Burning hell, Pittsburgh. Tighten up. Tighten up. <laughs>